Sure, good to see everyone back here tonight. Uh, our numbers have not grown. The families are still on vacation, and we wish them a wonderful time. But it's so good that we can come together on the first day of the week to put everything else aside and to focus on the things that are in the Bible to strengthen ourselves individually, this group as a whole. And that is going to be part of our focus tonight. Uh, it's been, it's hard to believe, nearly six months since we finished our study of the seven churches mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. And while this is not going to be an exhaustive review of that list, it would be hard to do. We spent nearly 40 minutes on each of the congregations. This is going to serve as a as a reminder of what we went through, uh, a recap of important lessons that are there for us, but not exhaustive. There are going to be so many more. We'll allude to a few of those as we go through this study, but we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot, not only about congregations and things we should be doing and things we shouldn't be doing, but we can also learn a lot about the book of Revelation the more we understand about the seven groups, the seven congregations that it was written to. But first, since not everyone was here, we're going to do a quick review of each of the congregations. We have a slide for each of them and just highlight a couple of points. And then we will obviously revisit uh, them in more detail as we take out and learn uh, from them. So if you want to, Definitely turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation 3. A lot of our uh, time tonight will be in those two chapters. The first group we looked at was Laodicea. Jesus from his throne in heaven calls them out and says two things that should give us all pause. He calls them wretched and miserable. This isn't a heathen pagan temple that he is referencing that way. This is a, a group of Christians that have come together that have a candlestick in heaven, and he calls them wretched and miserable. No persecution against the Laodiceans is ever mentioned in uh, Revelation 3, 14 through 22. Their culture, however, and the attitude of their society had crept into the church and ultimately compromised the group. And Jesus says so in calling them poor, blind, and naked. Laodicea were not hot or cold for Christ anymore. They were like their piped water source that is pictured here. It was neither hot nor cold. It was lukewarm, disgusting. And just like they wanted to vomit their water out and it was a source of great displeasure for the city, Christ was saying He wanted to vomit them out of His mouth. And even though God had nothing good to say about this group, He pleaded with them to repent. Next we looked at Pergamum. This group was known for their neutral position that they took. They had a couple uh, things that they were praised for. Three things in particular. They held fast Jesus' name. They did not deny the faith, even when Antipas, an elder, was killed by being put into a brazen calf and lit on fire and, and burned alive. They were courageous in the face of death. 
However, we see that some of the group had started following worldly teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. And while the church of Pergamum is never accused of teaching these false doctrines, nothing was being done about it. They stood neutral and Jesus was not pleased with that stance. Ephesus. This group of Christians were praised for four particular things. They're active workers in the kingdom. They labored for God. They tested those who claimed to be apostles, whether that was true or not. They persevered and refused to tolerate false teachings. They did not lose heart during their tribulations. However, they had left their first love. That is their zeal and passion for their Savior, Jesus Christ. They had forgotten that they were once lost and could not pay the debt for their sin. Furthermore, they remind us that God wants both our obedience, which we clearly see they had some obedience to Scripture. The group here at South Franklin would love to have some of the praises that was given to Ephesus to be known uh, by our name. However, God also teaches us, as we see throughout the entire Bible, our heart matters. And they had lost that zeal. And so if you don't have obedience and you don't have the right heart, then God, as we clearly see with the church of Ephesus, will not be pleased. Next, we have Smyrna. Smyrna is one of the two groups that are praised and nothing is condemned about their works. They stood strong in the face of tribulation, even though these trials had caused them poverty. So when we read about in Scripture's persecution, we don't always think about this end result being poverty, but that describes those in Smyrna. And they resisted the blasphemy, the false accusation of the Jews. They were the light of this community, even though they were being constantly attacked. However, God, to this group, reminds them of a sobering fact. The persecutions were not over. They had not been fulfilled and more was coming. And encourage them to remain faithful and strong. And if they persevered, they had a crown of life waiting for them. Sardis. This group was, had a history of wealth. This city was accredited with creating the first coin system. But at the time of this writing, their glory days had long passed. Unlike the other congregations, the critique and the focus of this congregation is 100% on them. Nothing else. We saw that even though they were perceived as active and alive, Jesus saw them as dead. It was also interesting to note that even though God had significant issues with the congregation, He knew that some among the group hadn't spoiled their garments. Jesus wanted the entire, the, the, those that needed to, to repent because He would come as a thief, a principle that we see throughout the Bible. Man knows no time when the judgment day will come. And Jesus wants them to be ready just like He wants us to be ready. Number six, Philadelphia. 
This city was the second city that had no things of, of condemnation or work that needed to be corrected. The city itself was known for the fertile plains and vineyards. It was uh, given the name Philadelphia, which means brotherly love, because king of Pergamum, Immunus II, uh, wanted to produce a memorial to his brother. But this city also had a nickname. That nickname was referenced as Little Athens because of its many temples to pagan gods. However, this group, just like Smyrna, had nothing to be corrected by Jesus. They don't appear to be a large group, but regardless of the tribulation that they endured, they had not deviated from the commands of God and had not denied his name, even though the Jews continuously attacked them. Lastly, Thyatira, the church that became compromised. The city was situated where several valleys came together and it was a variety of trades were located at this place. They had a lot of guilds, which in our vernacular, we would use labor unions um, headquartered here. For example, they had wool workers, linen workers, makers of outer garments, dyers, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, slave dealers, and bronzesmiths. These guilds were very similar to our unions. They had guidelines on joining and maintaining memberships. It was a big deal to be a part of one of these guilds because it guaranteed work, unlike so many other uh, disciplines at the time. However, there was another side to it. They often gave sacrifices, and there was a patron god, a deity, an idol with each of these groups. This is the home of Lydia, the seller of purple that we read about in Acts. And while Thyatira is often remembered for the horrible sin occurring within the group, many often forget that God praises this group for five things. There being, uh, that being their works, love, service, faith, and patience. All things we would want to be said about our group. However, just like those in Ephesus, being obedient and doing what God wants us to do in some areas doesn't take away the fact that there can be sin. Thyatira had allowed a false prophetess referred to and compared to as Jezebel to influence the members um, and cause them to sin. In summary, uh, when we looked at Thyatira, we, we made this chart which consolidates a lot of the things that they were known for, they were praised, they were condemned, and the conclusion with each of these groups. This chart helps me a lot thinking about why these seven were selected. Because you see a wide variety of things that are praised, all of which any congregation should be known for. A variety of things that they're condemned for, which any congregation should seek to avoid. Furthermore, at the top we have Smyrna and Philadelphia, as we just discussed. Nothing bad was said about those groups. Everything said about them was in the positive or in the praising category. Then we had two groups that had a lot of uh, negativity said about them. Uh, Laodicea had nothing good mentioned of the group. And Sardis had very little that when you read the text that you can pick out that was good about the group. And yet they had clear and active issues. Sardis, they were perceived to be good. 
and active, not only by the members, but their name had spread out that they were active. But God, Jesus from heaven, saw them as dead. And then we have the three in the middle, Ephesus, Pergamum, and Thyatira. And we, lo- we remember when we were looking at this, you know, Ephesus had left their zeal, their passion for Christ. Pergamum had not taken the stance against the Nicolaitans and, the ba- and Balaam and stood neutral. Now, Ephesus had condemned those groups, but they still had left their first love. And then you have Thyatira, where the false prophetess had compromised the group, so much so that not only her, but the others that were participating on it, if they did not repent, they faced death for their evil deeds. So this helps kind of categorize where the groups were, what they were doing right, what they were doing wrong, and very much so lessons for us to take away on as a group here at South Franklin, what should we be doing? How should we be evaluating ourselves? Because we can see we can be deceived in our works. None of these groups anticipated a letter coming to them that Jesus was going to detail out everything that was good and everything that was bad. When they read in the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, it first starts out mentioning the seven churches of Asia. Okay, that's interesting. Then it lists what cities. Okay, that's interesting. And then you go down, and what if you were in one of these groups? What if when you flip the page, it said South Franklin? What would come after it? And that's some of the things we're going to look at this evening. The first is, God knows what we're doing. Whether we think about it or we meditate about it, not only as individuals does God know what we're doing, God knows what South Franklin is doing. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, we read, Who, that is Jesus, walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Seven times for each of the seven groups, each of these passages start out with, I know your works. Revelations chapter 2, verse 2, verse 9, verse 13, verse 19, chapter 3, verse 1, verse 8, and verse 15. But this isn't the only time that we're told that God is monitoring the activity and the actions of the faithful or those that are seeking to follow him. In Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 21, which we have up on the screen, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. We must all remember that God is aware of what we are doing. Do you think on that chart previously in the seven churches, if they had put that into practice, some things may have been a little different in how they were acting and conducting themselves? 
In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There should be no doubt after this study that God knows what we are about. Does that change what we do? Does that change how we are going about our work here at South Franklin? I would say this. If it needs to, I hope we would. Next, I think another important lesson to understand is that a church can be deceived. A group of Christians coming together, seeking to follow God's Word and do all that He says. We can deceive. We can be deceived. I often say, looking at ourselves in the mirror is one of the hardest things we are asked to do. Somehow, some way, we can look in the mirror and we can see the facts and have a completely different perception in our minds that distorts what is so visibly there. And that's no different when it comes to a congregation. Let's first look at the church of the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, and we'll skip to verse 15. That places the context of which church we were talking about. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were hot, cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, how did the Laodiceans see themselves? Jesus leaves no doubt. It tells us right there. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing. Laodicea, which had nothing good to say, scares me probably more than the other seven. Because when I look at America, and I look at our blessings of prosperity, of all the groups and all the cultures and all the cities that we read about, there's not one that feels more similar <laughs> to that of Laodicea. How many people have that attitude where we are? And what's sad is they probably just expect that as a quality of life. But what did Jesus have the mercy on this group to tell them, to say, here's the mirror. You're not seeing it. I'm going to tell you now. You are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor, blind, and naked. Not many of us will ever, none of us will ever receive in this room that letter coming from Jesus. But the possibility of being deceived, I promise you, is there because we see it with the Laodiceans. But not just them. We talked about Sardis. Revelation 3 and verse 1. And the angel, 
and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things say he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know you works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Was it just Sardis that considered themselves active and alive and well? Their name had gone out that others looked at them that way. I mean, not only do we feel this about ourselves, others are looking in and saying that about us. But how did Jesus see them? We, we, we remember that God doesn't see like we do when it came to the selection of David and considering his other brothers. And we can go on and on on the list of examples that God doesn't see as we do. How are we making that evaluation? How were the other groups that had recognized them and given them that name as well, how did they create their evaluation process? We need to be cautious. Not only that we get too puffed up that that is us, but that hearing that from others, oh, you guys are doing good. Wow, congratulations on this or that. We don't want to be deceived. Another lesson that stood out to me is the perseverance in the face of persecutions. You know, we in America, we as, as congregations have not, not faced what we've read about with these seven churches. Not even close. I mean, maybe the closest thing in, in my lifetime has been the uh, stipulations on, on COVID and trying to prevent groups from meeting. Um, there were creative ways we could hear, fulfill God's commands and try to find a path where God's laws were held up and, and we tried to obey the laws here. Um, there were some congregations throughout the world that, that definitely with the crackdowns, we, we saw people going to jail for trying to meet and gather as the scriptures entail and suggest we should do or command us to do. But four of the seven congregations here are praised by God on how they faced persecutions. When they come, are we ready to respond as these four did? Let's look at Pergamum first in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 13. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. I know we have a perception that things are going south in America. <laughs> the statistics from this morning's study from 2020 show us that we're not on an upward trajectory of morality in this country. I, however, do not believe we have reached a point where Jesus would say Satan dwells in Williamson County, Franklin, Tennessee. That's the designation given to the brethren who worshiped and worked in Pergamum. I also don't fear at this moment and at this time that any of us will be dragged out, pull, 
put in a calf of bronze, a fire lit underneath, and we have to observe and watch the killing of one of us. Not saying it won't ever happen, but right now. I, I think sometimes we hear these ideas of persecution and we, we don't understand what they were facing. That's a pretty traumatic experience. And God didn't say, Jesus didn't say, wow, look at what you overcame. It's okay for you to not stand strong. I mean, who would? No. He expected them and praised them that they did not waver. How do we do that if we don't view our treasures in heaven? If we don't view that this life is temporary and that the spiritual is all that matters? How do we do that if we don't look at the lesson of abhorring evil and fleeing sin, resisting it, and viewing it as life and death? We can't. In Revelations chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, uh, we read about Ephesus. Here it says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8, Philadelphia, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. And then lastly in Smyrna, Revelation chapter 2 verses 9 through 10, we read, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blaspheme of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Of all the groups, Smyrna is one of the more challenging ones for us to think about. And to put ourselves in their shoes. Imagine following God. So much so that Jesus has nothing to correct in their life. But because you decided to follow God, you now are considered to be in poverty. And when you see this letter and you're praised and lifted up for that level of persecution... Jesus says, it's not complete. More is coming. Stay faithful. You'll have the crown of life. I think as we have talked in times past about Job and Joseph and so many examples in scriptures, and I throw Smyrna right there in the middle of them. They don't respond this way because they are haphazard with the Word of God. That this is a secondary consideration in their lives. They're able to respond this way because they prepared themselves. Are we preparing ourselves? Because we are told in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 12, 
Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If we have the goal to live godly in Christ Jesus, which I know every single one of us here do, there's no surprise. We will suffer persecution. Just like we read with these groups, the seven group churches in Asia. Next, being faithful matters. There's a belief that God only cares about the heart and not the details that is prolific in the quote-unquote religious community, but it's growing inside those that are putting an honest effort to look at the Bible. I've heard in young adult classes, I've heard in Bible studies, you're focusing on the details. It's the heart that God cares about. Let's look at a couple examples to see what God's view is on that subject. In Revelations 2, verses 2 through 5, which we have previously read, I have no doubt that South Franklin Church of Christ wants to be known for our works, our labor, our patience. The fact that we have a distaste for anyone that would practice evil They showed what we talked about. Didn't we read this morning about abhorring evil, fleeing sin, resisting Satan? Ephesus has that. They're praised for that. But their heart wasn't right. They left the first love, the zeal and passion for Christ. But they persevered through persecution. They had patience. They tested teachers. But that didn't take away. They needed something to be corrected. Notice what it says in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. None of us, none of us would want the South Franklin's candlestick removed from heaven. We must be willing to have all the things said about us that are praised with these seven groups. But remember that if we don't and there is a fault and we're not willing to repent of that, God will remove the candlesticks. And some may say, you know what? That's a beautiful list about a congregation. I'll take every single one of those. But what if covetousness had taken over us here? I mean, that's not a visible, easy-to-detect thing, but it was rampant in the way that we viewed life. Would not the same things be said about us that is being said to, to Ephesus? And why is that? Let's look at 1 John 1, 5, 7, our scripture reading I 
appreciate Joseph leading us again in that. This is why. Starting in verse 5 of 1 John 1, this is the message which you have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When it says that God is light and in him is no darkness, it means that God is righteous and pure and holy. And there is nothing of sin and unrighteousness and uncleanliness that is associated with our God. And we can be in the light too. Verse 6 tells us, it gives us the comparison, practicing the truth. That is how we can be in the light. Being faithful matters. And then for time's sake, the last thing we're going to look at tonight is the repentance must occur when error is present. There are a lot more lessons we could look at and be encouraged by from the seven churches in Asia. I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the lessons I know I did in preparation of this and am reminded of all the intricate details of what we need to be working on and what we need to be avoiding. Things such as... Um, to ignore our hearts, which we abbreviated here is sinful. God cares about the works and the practices of his congregation. I mean, that makes sense. Jesus is the head and, and we are the body. Taking a neutral position on biblical doctrine is sin. There's so many more that are important. But repentance, repentance must occur not only when individuals are presented with the error that they are conducting, but when a congregation is failing to follow God's commands as well. In all five congregations that are listed, because we only had two that had no condemnation, in all five that are listed, the warning is serious, important, and immediate. Action need to occur. Let's look at each of these. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 16, we have Pergamos, where it says, Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 21 through 22, Thyatira, And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation and they repent unless they repent of their deeds. I think I forgot Ephesus uh, on here, but it's in my notes. Revelation uh, 2 verse 5. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 3 to Sardis. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. 
And then lastly, Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. All congregations face these same challenges no matter when or where they, a group of people have come together to seek after God's Word. I think these are a good five lessons that we can take away from the, first two, from the chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation. That is, God knows what we are doing. A church, a group of Christians can be deceived about the work that is happening amongst them. Perseverance in the face of persecution is not optional. It's not a like to, it's a must. Being faithful matters in all that God has laid out and instructed us to do. And repentance must occur when error is present, whether we're an individual or as a collective group. Because if we really do have the goals and Adorations that we read about this morning about abhorring evil, fleeing sin, resisting it, and treating it as eternal life and death. Why wouldn't we want to be repentative? We must have humble hearts and be ready to correct anything that needs to be corrected. An invitation, I wanted to read the same invitation that was given to the last church listed. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. This invitation was given to those at Laodicea. Laodicea didn't have a lot of good going for it as we've clearly identified. Nothing was positively said about the group. And I don't think that was an accident. If Jesus had something to say, we saw him bring about uh, positive things with, with all the other ones. But it's an invitation that is open for us all. And it's an invitation we need to adhere to and we need to be mindful of. Starting in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne also, sorry, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What a beautiful picture we're given. Jesus, to the one congregation that had nothing good to be said about it, pleads for them. Pleads for them to repent. He's pleaded with us. If there's something that needs to be corrected in, in your life, God wants us to repent. And if we have not given our life to Him, there's only one way to get into Christ. Galatians tells us that is through baptism. If you have any need, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song.